Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of a point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Happy, happy, happy Wednesday. Whoop, whoop, Trump whoop. is in trouble. Oh, I feel so badly. Poor guy. Do you get tarot card re- readers on your TikTok for you page ever? Every once in a while, but then it like really wigs me out. So I'm like, I don't even listen. Or so, I'm so into it. Like every time I'm like okay. hoping it's about me. And you know... You know, when they're like something you've been manifesting is like really coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like it's the Trump in jail saga that I've been manifesting forever that like these tarot card readers are now like, it's coming. It's around the corner. Keep looking for those angel numbers. And here we are. <laughs> I mean, maybe, however, if you could like, please add to your manifesting list, White House Correspondence Center, that's our goal for next year. And yeah. also going to the congressional baseball game that we forgot about and is literally yeah. this week. So just oh, I also saw they're it, doing a soccer game or something, or they're doing something with professional soccer. Yeah. We need to go to that too. I know. Look, our event roster really needs to get boosted. We need to find ourselves in DC at some point, but Trump needs to find himself behind bars. And mm. I am just so glad that your manifesting is working i think it's working thank you and honestly i feel like shout out to the psychics and the tarot card readers on tiktok who have just been pointing me in the right direction literally no idea it's crazy i also will say that the picture of the document in the bathroom oh my god perfect cherry on top like at first like honestly story of (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> destroying the design of that bathroom oh my god it's so horrendous just like seeing the inside of his home I'm like you are not well like you I have no words it's just absolute heinousness it's so bad and one thing I did realize or I have this thought and a theory about is that the tub in that bathroom like it's not a shower it's just like a jacuzzi or a tub because I was like why is there a window above it that's like a high cut. And then I was trying to figure out why the shower curtain was at such a weird height, especially in contrast to the chandelier. And so that is my theory. It is not really a shower. It is a jacuzzi. And they put that up for privacy or they were also separating documents. 
I also would just like to say I'm very concerned about the mildew and the sharticles in that bathroom Shut with the classified documents. <laughs> you did not just say sharticles. Oh I my was God. Like I know. I know. Look, it really, I couldn't get myself to do it on a TikTok. Like, it really was like, this is not the space. I was binging Queer Eye and Julianne talking oh, about like, the best bathroom. show. I've been crying at that show oh, lately. So good. It's so good. It's so like get any better. So it's just oh my God. so good. Yeah. It's obsessed. The yeah. way I would do anything to be any and all of their friends. Like I would I'd do anything. We should tell the tarot card readers, get on this. Mm. I'm starting to manifest that. Other yeah. niche like TikTok reference. Have you ever seen like any of the videos where someone will like go and look up like kind of weird Airbnbs like in the middle of nowhere? Or like Zillow listings or something. And they'll like find these houses that are like really like kind of creepy and weird. Like they'll have like these weird basements and nooks and crannies in the house that you're like, what the fuck are these for? Like it almost seems like it's like cold tea or they're like literally kidnapping people and putting them in places. And like they're all on these Zillow listings. Super niche reference. But I don't know why like that type of aesthetic is like what I thought of when I saw Into Trump's Home. No, I actually do know the niche TikTok that you're on. It pops up on ours a little bit. I kind of pass it, but I see it every once in a while. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. Like the weird placement of things, the like yeah. overly shiny and attempts at being opulent, but, like still like missing design wise, like again, weird shapes, like uh, a thousand yeah. percent. That is so accurate. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay, but it's just man. like nothing seems to like look right. Like, what I saw when I saw into his home, it's like you're trying to like design this and make it into a home, but it's just hitting, not hitting the mark. And it's like, why are no. there chandeliers in your bathroom? See, here's why? the thing. I will make a note on the chandeliers in a bathroom. I'm not necessarily opposed. It's not my style. I've seen chandeliers. It's like a massive in, bathroom that's like luxurious right. and don't, gorgeous. Um, sure. I just don't want anyone listening that happens to have a chandelier in their bathroom to panic. Okay. Like <laughs> it's going to be okay. It doesn't mean it's, it's like a no. But this like looks like a guest bathroom or like a half bath. Like why is there a chandelier? Totally. And then <laughs> I know a lot of the pictures that got cut up, but there was like little similar like light fixtures, like wall mounts above the toilet. Yep. Like functionally, that doesn't make any sense. The lights are too low to the toilet. And that toilet was so low, so low. I can't, I really can't. But on a very random segue, that's, it's random adjacent. You know, it's not quite random. It's in the general neck of the woods. But it was something that I was thinking about earlier today when I was scrolling on Hinge. Sorry. Just looking at pictures. The pictures of the outside, it's just absolute heinousness. Like, it looks like a La Quinta or something. Like, the Uh. gate, the gate. Like, it also reminds me Mm. of, like, Never Neverland or whatever the fuck Michael Jackson's weird, like, creepy house was. it's not a movie. (laughs) No, you know, his his weird thing. It is a weird gate. It's like something about the look. It just makes me feel so icky. I agree. I. Huh. Like just something creepy and dark happens in places that look like that. Yeah. No, there's something just. Mm. And I really love like, like Spanish style, like absolutely a fan. With the ambiance, the vibe, something is just very off. 
And so much like inside, like so much like gold gilding, like it's giving such a like religious vibe. Culty. Totally. Anyways, aside from all of our commentary about his home, he this is also an unprecedented move. We've seen Trump be in these legal troubles for for some time. He also got indicted in New York and now is facing federal charges for this 37 counts 37 and there's a potential he can face 20 years in prison around there well more i calculated the maximum years that you could pursue per each like count Mm -hmm. and it was 100 years will that be the reality no no yeah i saw an article that it was like it would probably be 20 but yeah so this is the thing that's like there's so much to unpack because this does not stop him from running for office. No. He can still run for office. He can still win. And he could literally pardon himself when he gets into office. So even more reason and to be scared of Is then even say he doesn't want to say it's DeSantis, say it's Chris yep. Christie, God help us all. Like they will most likely pardon Trump. Yeah. So even if he doesn't win, like the idea of him being like let loose on these charges very very real so just know that's on the line accountability is on the line so start making sure your friends are registered to vote before we head into this very big election year because it also reminds me of just like our conversation with our friends at cap where we were talking about like if he were to get back into office, this would be a second term given everything that's gone down January 6th, the man didn't want to leave office. Like if he were to get back into office, like his first term, he had to kind of like still play by the rules a little bit so that he could get a second term or, you know, now it just would be like no rules blitzkrieg. Like he would just tear Mm -hmm. it down. And especially if he were to get arrested and put in jail, like, just imagine the steam coming from this man's ears and what he will do if he was given this power again. So it's just really fucking crazy. Speaking More of crazy- unprecedented times, folks. But- totally. But like, just think Nothing we're about- not used to. Yeah, that's also true. It's like, <laughs> think about like, if he just like decided not to run for president, like he could just be doing his little crook thing, but like, with less eyes, which is like what I'm assuming he would be doing because like the guy, the guy ain't straight. So like it would not have prevented any more crooking, crookings. That's not a word. Crook dealings, crook. Anyways, you get what I'm saying? Crooky tings. But like, it's just funny where it's like, it's so fucked up. It's funny category where it's like, you like he made his own problem so much worse for himself. Like, to a point, yeah. his own his own personality, his own faults are what make him get deeper and deeper into these scenarios because he yeah. cannot resist. But it I also think like, he's like realized what, like think about this power that he holds. Like even though like most people don't like him, even the people in his own party, he still still holds so much power over like everyone in the Republican Party because of this base that he's created and this like influence he has over this group of people that is important voter base for a lot of people in power and the way that they just follow whatever he does. I think the power that he thought being president would give him, like it exceeded his expectations. Mm, And he's like, this is great. Like, 
I can do. I'm untouchable at this point. Well, because he also just... has no shame too. So it's yeah. like it adds to the whole fire because at the end of the day, like he doesn't really give a shit. Like as much as he cares what other people think, he doesn't care at all. No, totally. Like, and that's why I mean? he loves like, it because he's like, I have all these little like disciples essentially at this point who just follow me and whatever I do. And I'm sure there's even more to that that like we don't even know because who who knows all the like other back dealings and shit that come with being the president of this country. Like right. and all the kind of power that that comes with that that we don't see. But to even just see the way this Republican Party is like still so beholden to him, giving that I mean, to a narcissist is like gotta be the most dangerous recipe on earth, you know? Not that there aren't tons of other narcissists in the Republican and the Democratic Party, to be honest, on both sides. Mm -hmm. But like, I think this week's dealings are like a great example of that, of basically like McCarthy not being able to like bring votes to the floor because the Freedom Caucus, aka the crazy wackadoos in our eyes on mm -hmm. the Republican side that are like Trump's little disciples have been like holding everything hostage for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, we also have a really, really, really great episode today. Mm -hmm. An incredible, incredible conversation. Samantha? I'll give the deeds. I'll give the intro. So today, aka this week, our episode is with Nebraska State Senator Megan Hunt. You might have seen her on social media as Nebraska Megan. Because literally when I went to intro her, I was about to be like, Nebraska Megan, welcome. welcome. Because like... It's so weird how social media these days like really does that to you where you're like, wait, I like don't People know. People call so us sassy. girls in the govs. Oh, girls in the govs. Girls and govs. The girls and the govs are here. <laughs> <laughs> For such a simple name that we have, the amount of mess ups that we get to our name and they're not like poorly men. Girls, girls and the gov. Girl and gov. Girls and gov. Gov girls. Gov girls. <laughs> Nevertheless, this week's episode, like we said, is with State Senator Megan Hunt, and she walks us through how the Nebraska legislature works. And it's really unique. It's unicameral. It's the only one that operates in this particular fashion in the country. It has a really interesting history to it. And it's also nonpartisan, which plays into a lot of our conversation about a gender affirming care ban and abortion ban that came to a head that her and a bunch of colleagues filibustered like nobody's business about mm -hmm. and there is so much of the story of, like how it went down you may have seen in the news the last few weeks last few months bits about this filibuster and the process that was going on around it and all that they were doing to stop it we also talk about very interestingly the loophole that may stop this really fucked up bill in the end in the court so to find mm -hmm. out what that loophole is and how politics really happens in the loophole you're gonna have to listen so Without further ado, here is State Senator Megan Hunt. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. We are so excited to have you on the show. Guys, we have Nebraska State Senator Megan Hunt on the show today. We are beyond excited. We have been dying to get you on the show for a while. So 
This is an honor. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's really nice of you to say. I'm happy to be here, guys. Thank you. Of course. Oh, my God. Well, we have so much to talk about. So many different rabbit holes. we got to talk about Nebraska politics as a whole. We've got to talk about gender-affirming care. So many things. But let's start it off with walking through your political journey a little bit. How did you get into politics? How do you decide, like, I'm going to run for office? Like, let's do this thing. Okay, I never wanted any of this to happen. I feel like <laughs> I just kept getting into different messes, and now I'm here, and I don't like, know. How I this did not happened, ask but... for this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's like why me? But uh, you know, I've, I've, my background is really in entrepreneurship and activism. I've been a business owner in my district for about twenty years, and it's all in retail. Like I owned a clothing store for about 10 years and I was a bridal designer. I was a dress designer for a while, which is another life. And Mm -hmm. today I own a stationary store. So my background is like shop girl basically. And you know, working with people in my neighborhood and in my community to try to use the platform I have as a small business to sort of support the causes that matter to me. So Long story short, I guess how it started for me was in 2015, which sounds like forever ago now, but Omaha Public Schools, where I live in Omaha, Nebraska, they were working on upgrading, updating their comprehensive sex education. And at the time, their sex education curriculum hadn't been updated since 1971. So there were a lot of kids that were getting the same sex ed that their grandparents had gotten. And We also had some of the highest rates of STDs and STIs in the entire country. So I was just part of a group that knew maybe if we gave kids age-appropriate, research-based, medically accurate sex education, we could solve a lot of these public health problems that we have. And we ended up doing it. And, you know, I was just working on that as an advocate and as a public school parent and as a concerned person in the neighborhood. And... I started to realize that people were seeing me maybe not just as a business leader, but maybe as a political leader. So one thing led to another. I decided to give it a go. And I just got reelected by a landslide in 2022. Yeah. Incredible. (laughs) So, so interesting. And it's, you know, hearing everyone's stories of how they get into politics is always so interesting, but like, I feel like that's one we haven't heard yet, but like, it's awesome. It's just like seeing a problem and becoming really passionate yeah. about fixing a problem. And then it turned out that this is the platform you have to get on. To yeah, like it's the tool. And fixing that. Yeah, exactly. That's something I always like say too. I'm like, as much as people, you can say you don't like politics or you like, you don't agree with that government, blah, 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 all the complaints. Like it is the best vehicle to get change. And so it's just like working at chipping away at some of the problems to to get where you need to be is is the way to go in my eyes. But we're super curious too. We've been doing some deep dives into various states and we want to talk about Nebraska today, obviously. So we first want to kind of get a feel for the landscape, the political landscape, and understand kind of where it lands on the political spectrum. Is it more red? Is it blue? Is it purple? Can you give us that kind of breakdown of what Nebraska looks like these days politically? Well, Nebraska is a conservative state, you know, just as you would kind of suspect stereotypically, you're right, it's a conservative state, but it's a very unique state politically, because we are the only state in the country that has an officially nonpartisan legislature. So we don't have any official party membership in our state house. We don't have any majority minority leaders. We don't have any caucuses. 
And we also have the only one house legislature in the country. So we don't have a house and a Senate. We just have one legislature. We also have the smallest legislature in the country with just 49 members who are state senators. So I'm a member of a 49 member group of legislators, of lawmakers in Nebraska, and none of us have any official party affiliation. So, of course, people are certainly ideological. You know, we all have different views along the, the spectrum of ideology and politics, but we tend to kind of vote based on issue, not based on party. So you'll see a lot of Democrats opposing gun restriction bills. You'll see a lot of Republicans who are supporting reproductive rights bills. You see a little bit more crossover than you would normally see in other states. That has typically been the case here in Nebraska. And that's something we're really proud of is that independent spirit that we have in our politics. Yeah, I was curious with that nonpartisan end of things, if it gets confusing for voters. Like I know in like other states, like trying to do research a lot of times on like nonpartisan candidates, a lot of them being local, state, judicial, it can be really hard to sort of understand where someone stands. Doesn't mean that there shouldn't be more clarity in how that person's positioning themselves, obviously. But there seems to be a lot of times less of a way to find information out. And so I'm curious if like it comes into campaigning at all, if it feels unclear to people, or is it pretty obvious if you go to like someone that's running for office in Nebraska, like their website and you see their issues, you're like, okay, like I really understand sort of where they're at. I do think it's pretty obvious. Okay. And also the parties like the GOP and the Democratic Party do back candidates, but we don't have any official membership once we're elected. And on the ballot, it's it's all nonpartisan. So you don't see people's party registration on the ballot. But the state parties at the state and local level do get involved in races. And, you know, in Nebraska, at the state and local level, we have a lot of retail politics. You really can't win unless you knock the most doors, unless you call the most voters, unless you reach the most people through town halls and, you know, forums and debates and stuff. So in order to be successful as a lawmaker or an elected official in Nebraska, you have to make sure people get to know you. Totally. And just to like hop it back for a second in terms of those issues that might make it pretty obvious for people as to where people stand. What are the issues generally that Nebraskans are laser focused on? Like what is like if you talk to, you know, a small sample of Nebraskans, like what are they all going to say? Like we care about this. I think in Nebraska, so I'll base this off of my own campaigning. In my last campaign, we knocked about 22,000 doors. And the top issues among my constituents are access to health care, support for public education, and kind of common sense lowering of the tax burden on the middle class. I mean, we don't have a lot of different tax brackets in our state. And, you know, we have billionaires in our state, like Warren Buffett and the Ricketts family, and they're paying the same taxes that a middle income family's paying because we don't have a lot of tax brackets. So, I mean, that's a really boring way to say, you know, just kind of lightening yeah. the burden on the middle class. And another asterisk I would add to that is my constituents, and I think people in Nebraska generally, really care a lot about decreasing the partisan divide in this country not having our politics be like what we see in Congress in Washington. They just want common sense, good people elected who will lower their taxes and leave them alone, basically. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. 
especially in a state like Nebraska. But that makes us want to get into our I have a stupid question segment a little bit, just because we want to get into like kind of how the Nebraska state legislature legislates. And you mentioned a little bit that there are some unique qualities of Nebraska politics, one of them being a unicameral legislature. So you kind of mentioned this earlier, but can you explain like how that works? Sure. So we have a one house legislature in every other state, you know, the house or the Senate passes a bill and then it goes to the other chamber and they either change it and send it back or they pass it as well. And in Nebraska, we don't have that. We are the only lawmaking entity in the state, basically. So we have the first 10 days of each legislative session to introduce bills. In Nebraska, every single bill gets a public hearing, is guaranteed a public hearing. And there's also no limit on how many bills senators can introduce. So it's actually a very transparent and open process. Everything that's get, it's introduced gets a hearing. People get to come in, you know, give their feedback about the different things that we're trying to do. And then each bill has to go through three rounds of debate. And after that, it's sent to the governor and they either sign it or veto it. So it's a really efficient way of lawmaking because it's just the 49 of us. And there's a lot of checks and balances that happen along the way with the public hearing, with the three rounds of debate. We can filibuster. We can use all kinds of procedural tools to stop debate or structure debate in a way that we see fit. And in Nebraska, we really say that the second house, you know, we only have the one house government, but the second house is the people. And it's the opportunity for Nebraskans to come in and testify on bills, to be in the public gallery, to be in the rotunda and make their voices heard about the stuff that we're doing. And they they really do. That's amazing to hear, first of all, like really see that like civic mm-hmm. engagement actually happening. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this model in general. I did see like doing some research that there was a really big phase and push for going towards unicameral legislatures. And then it just like didn't seem to get past Nebraska. And it reminded me a little bit of like ranked choice voting in the way of like phases that people have with democratic reforms. And some of them can be like really great and some take off and then some take off certain places, not everywhere. And I'm just kind of curious, like what your take on it is. Like, are you a fan? Would you rather be in a legislature where it's more, you know, it's the two houses? What are your thoughts? I think that this type of legislative system, the unicameral legislature, it started in the 30s as a way to save money, honestly. Like, that's why it happened in Nebraska is they thought it would save taxpayers a lot of money if they got rid of one of the houses. And, you know, practically speaking, I'm sure that's right. It did save money. But the architect of the unicameral legislature, George Norris, who was a senator, a U.S. senator from the state of Nebraska, he also predicted accurately that going to a unicameral legislature would decrease partisanship, that it would lower the temperature of the political rancor if we had to be accountable to each other and to the constituents and the people of Nebraska, there would be less kind of manipulation through the political parties. And I think that's been true. And the reason it hasn't caught on in other states is simply because one house is not willing to vote themselves out of a job. You know, it's hard to imagine a state where If they wanted to get rid of the House of Representatives, there would be political support for that. Unless maybe it went on the ballot and it was up to the voters or something like that. I do like the system. I like that it's small. I like that it's really easy for me to get to know my colleagues personally and for them to get to know me. And I think it just results 
thoughts and better lawmaking. There are people who disagree. I mean, every single year we have a bill come up in the legislature to change our process to go to a two house system, whatever. But there just isn't really a lot of broad support for that idea right now in Nebraska. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's like, I'm curious what what some of the cons are in your eyes as well. And, you know, thinking about having two houses and especially politically, obviously, this really all just comes down to like partisanship. But in a, in a state like Nebraska, I'm sure both houses, if there were two, they would probably be red. But, you know, and just looking at even our, you know, federal government right now, like having this like kind of balance of power with the houses being held by separate parties that kind of allows maybe more representation. Like what in your, your eyes are some of the cons to having unicameral? Zero. In my eyes, there are zero. There is there is nothing that I would prefer about a two-house legislature. I think it's more backroom dealing. I think it's a lot less transparency. Mm-hmm. I think it's more costly. And I think, as you said, just increasing the partisan influence in what we do, that takes us further and further away from the people we represent. As a nonpartisan lawmaker in one house, like I've got 50,000 people I represent who are of all political backgrounds. And my seat's also not guaranteed to go to a progressive lawmaker. Like you really have to earn those votes. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously proud of the system we have here and I'm obviously biased, but I, I really think it's ideal. It's great. You know where the only other unicameral legislature is? In the world? There's one more. Yep. There's one more in the world and it's based on Nebraska system and it's in Mongolia. Wow, fun fact. We love it. Fun fact. I will be Uh, whipping that out at parties, let me tell you, and making all of the friends. I love a fun fact. Like, I cannot tell you how many parties I've been at, or you know, how many situations where they're like, tell us a fun fact. And we're like, (laughs) I got nothing. Now I got something. Yeah. yeah. People are going to roll their eyes at you, Sam. Like, what a political. They do anyway. Get her out of here. No, but it's got to be so much more efficient, too. I mean, just think about all the gridlock, Mm -hmm. like how, you know, I mean, every state, but especially like our federal government works, having to go back and forth and, you know, this passes here, but then like it has no shot in the Senate. So it does a lot of things like don't even have a future because of how that system is set up. So again, like obviously depending, you know, on your own personal priorities of seeing things go through, like sometimes having that extra defense is nice, but end of the day, like you know, if the people vote in this group of people to represent, then you just kind of have to go with that. And having like one body that's just efficient like that has to be nice. And I'm curious, like, too, like what kind of the rates are of like legislation passed in like Nebraska versus other states that have the two houses. If there's like, has anyone broken that down? I know. I I have a statistic that I just saw today. So this year we had 177 bills passed, 68 of the bills were introduced by progressives, and 38% of the bills passed were introduced by progressives, while we only make up 33% of the body. So it looks like proportionately we've been a lot more effective, and we got a lot of progressive things done. So yeah, and I think it's working for us. No, that's awesome. And I think it's just like so interesting to not only learn about the system, but see like ways that we can improve democracy. And this is definitely one to keep in mind. I am curious from like a very silly question perspective, why y'all do state senators as opposed to like state assembly or state delegates? Like, 
Is there any like backstory as to like how you guys ended up being state senators versus any of the other names? I'm sure there's a backstory and I probably have learned it and I forgot it. But if I had to guess, I'd say the architects of the system just thought Senator sounded more impressive. So they thought they'd keep that one. Yeah. Well, I feel like if you have one body, I I would assume it'd be Senate versus like a house, especially since there's less people. Yeah, it's fewer people. We So in Nebraska, actually, this is the truth. In Nebraska, we kept the Senate and we abolished the House. And so that's why that the House sense. had more people and we got rid of that one and we kept the Senate. But I've been to so many conferences around the country and stuff in my capacity as a lawmaker. And, you know, I'll be socializing or whatever. And somebody from some other state be like, oh, who are you? What do you do? Oh, you're Senator Megan Hunt. And then someone's like, Oh, but she's from Nebraska. So it's like (laughs) Senator doesn't like carry that weight with them. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, the ups and downs of political, like... The jargon. Yeah. Oh, my God. Pettiness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, another kind of unique part of how you guys legislate is that each bill can only have one subject. Can you kind of explain that situation and how that plays out? You guys have done some research. I love. (laughs) So we have, that's right. We have a, a provision in our constitution saying that every bill we pass has to be confined to a single subject. That's been tested in the courts a couple times, you know, kind of the main bill that we had this year that I know you guys know about, and a lot of people around the country have heard about, is we passed a bill this year in Nebraska to ban health care for trans youth. And at the 11th hour, at the very last minute of the debate, somebody introduced an amendment to add a 12-week abortion ban into that same bill, and it ended up passing with it. So we're going to have upcoming court challenges in Nebraska because of our single subject rule saying is this bill even constitutional in Nebraska since it deals with gender affirming care and LGBTQ issues and abortion and, you know, reproductive health care. And that's a fight that is going to be playing out in the courts in our state in the coming months. Totally. Well, I feel like politics always wins in the loopholes. So here's to (laughs) praying that that loophole gets that turned around and also that, you know, buys some time to make some change there. But I really was interested, like when I saw this rule and then was thinking about the bill that we're going to talk about a little bit more, I was like, how did how did that happen? But I am curious how this has been positive in terms of other legislation, in terms of trying to keep things like more streamlined or transparent, because that's what this felt like to me. I was like, oh, my God, like, thank goodness. Like, if you're a constituent reading a bill, you like actually can understand like what the point is, like what is the end goal here. And I feel like so many, especially federal bills, are so layered. You're like, which direction do you look in first to try to understand what it's supposed to do? So I'm personally. Yeah. And I feel like it feeds into the efficiency of it all too, of like just getting things passed, like not adding little, you know, snippets into bills that just to pass to get things through versus like, let's make comprehensive legislation per subject, you know. Well, you got that totally right. I mean, the people who designed the idea of the unicameral legislature and the different provisions that we have in our constitution, like the single subject rule, all of these things are designed to make it easy for the average person to understand what we're doing. It's so that when people look at a bill, you can read what it's about and you can kind of know that that's basically all it's about. 
And Mm -hmm. it also helps a lot in court cases because when we're litigating the constitutionality of a bill or the effects that it's having on, on Nebraskans, on the people we serve, you know, the clarity and statute around that is really helpful too. Totally. Well, there's another term that we wanted to ask about, and it's one that's really been like connected with your name in the last two months, and that is the filibuster. Can you explain to us what the filibuster is and how it works? In Nebraska, the way the filibuster works is not the same way as it works in Congress. So a lot of people say, I'm against the filibuster. We need to end the filibuster. And they're probably talking about the way they do it in in the House and Senate in in Congress. It's not the same way in Nebraska. In Nebraska, we actually have to keep talking and we have to talk about the subject matter of the bill. So in order to filibuster a bill in Nebraska, you can't just say, you know, I have this many votes and therefore I declare filibuster. It doesn't work like that. You have to figure out how to use the rules and procedures to continue to take time on each I'm trying not to get too much in the weeds so it's hard to understand but on each motion that comes up on a bill you can only speak a certain number of times and so you have to devise ways to keep new motions coming to reconsider old motions to file you know different procedural things on bills so that you keep having time to talk so it takes several types of skill in Nebraska to filibuster. It's not just being able to talk. It's not just counting votes. It's also understanding the rules at a level where you can keep talking. You are filing the right things to be able to keep having time on the microphone and you're foiling the people who are trying to stop you from doing that because they can also use rules and procedures to stop you and you have to kind of outsmart them. So it's really kind of a bit of rule craft and understanding the procedures behind the work we do, which we all agree to in the beginning of session. And so a lot of people who have opposed the filibuster and they don't like the time that we're taking on these bills, you know, we can remind them that we're just playing according to the rules that all of us agreed to at the beginning of session. And it's not my fault that you don't know the rules as well as we do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, let's bring in an example because like Sam said, you have been famous lately for your filibustering efforts for a ban on gender affirming care and an abortion ban. So maybe in using that example in that context, kind of explain like what the behind the scenes looks like for doing something like that. It was a big effort, I know. So mm-hmm. especially like again in the in the lens of how the Nebraska filibuster works specifically, like tell us how that how that all went down. So first, I must say that this has been a team effort. It's not all me. This year, we had several anti-LGBTQ bills introduced and several anti-trans bills introduced specifically in Nebraska. A lot of people from red states or a lot of political watchers who follow politics around the country, to them, this may be no surprise. They may say, girl, you live in a red state. Of course, you're getting stuff like this thrown at you. These bills in Nebraska were the first that we ever had cutting down these kinds of human rights. And so it was a little bit of a shock to some of us because in our normally, you know, collegial, common sense, Mm -hmm. conservative, but not openly bigoted and hateful legislature, having legislation like this is completely unheard of. It's never happened before. So when it happened this year, 
you know, these bills that normally wouldn't be taken seriously, that wouldn't have a chance in hell of passing. My colleague, Senator Michaela Kavanaugh, said that if these bills made it to the floor, if these bills continue to advance, she was going to, quote unquote, burn the session to the ground with the filibuster by preventing any other legislation from moving forward. She has a hotter head than I do. I guess it depends on the context, but <laughs> at, at that moment, she 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 was doing the right thing and she did it quick. And I, at that time, was still holding out hope for a traditional solution, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, through negotiation and compromise and dealing. And I was still hopeful that we could find a way out of having those bills pass in Nebraska. After several days of negotiation and talking with, you know, all the people at the table, I became convinced that it was hopeless. I became convinced that we probably wouldn't have the votes to stop it. And that for the first time, Nebraska was going to enter this kind of far right, super Trumpian, super authoritarian space of anti-LGBTQ politics. And that's devastating. So that's when I decided I was going to join Senator Kavanaugh in the filibuster. I was going to help her take all the time and that we were going to team up together on it. That effort was mainly between she and I, but we had the support of many other senators who continued to help us negotiate, continued to try to keep relationships solid so we could get somewhere, so we could make it be less bad potentially even. And she and I and another colleague of ours, John Fredrickson, Senator Fredrickson, I'm the first openly LGBTQ person elected in the legislature. And Senator Fredrickson is the first gay man elected to the legislature. So we're our own little kind of LGBTQ caucus. And the two of us, along with Senator Michaela Kavanaugh, started a PAC called Don't Legislate Hate. And we are using donations from that PAC to support candidates in Nebraska and in other red states who are going to fight like we did to stop these anti-LGBTQ bills and legislatures. Love that. We will be sharing that with absolutely everyone under the sun because everyone needs to get involved in that cause for (laughs) sure. And if that's not honestly like a silver lining coming out of this whole situation, I don't know what is because it's an opportunity, of course, to build power. But that is quite wild of like how what has seemed like, again, like your words, like a more conservative legislature, more conservative state. Fine. But then going towards like this deep level of hate and bigotry. And I I'm curious, too, like what you feel like pushed it in this direction. Like, is it the like national Trump atmosphere that has had this entire country like in a tizzy for the last however many years? Or like, is there something state specific? Like, I feel like it really has got to take like so much hate in your heart to like introduce any of this legislation? Seriously. I mean, I, I mean, I think for every individual Senator that supported this bill, the reasons probably different. I mean, I think some of them are genuinely super far right and they're rejoicing and so happy that they finally crossed this Rubicon and they've made it to this place. They're probably very happy about that. For other senators, I think support for this legislation, this, this vote against healthcare for trans kids I think it came genuinely out of a place of ignorance. It's not that they hate these kids. It's not that they 
want to take parents' rights away is that they don't know what they're fucking talking about and they are not learning. You know, at this point, I, I don't have any sympathy for that, by the way. Let me be clear no. to you and your listeners. Like, I'm not saying that's a good reason. I'm saying that they're not learning and they're not willing to learn and they don't have an incentive to learn. So, you know, I have a lot of colleagues. I can, okay, so it takes 33 votes to pass a bill in Nebraska. They needed 33 votes to stop the filibuster and they finally did it. Of those 33 votes, I know personally six or seven senators who opposed the bill, who said, I wish this was never introduced. I don't understand the way this works. I wish we didn't have to vote on things like this. This isn't what I came here to do. I don't actually care about this at all. I, you know, they had their, their own reasons, but there are at least six or seven senators who didn't support it at all, but they still voted for it at the end of the day. And these are the people that I think need to look at their conscience and say, you know, you guys, because of that vote, we only needed one of you to hold back. Or all of you could have stayed together as a block and jumped off the ship like the rats you are. But yeah, I feel like it's those people more specifically that really have the blood on their hands more than anything, because it's the, it's the weaponized like incompetence or ignorance or deciding to like turn the blind yes. eye when you know. And I think that's so much worse and so much more dangerous than the person that like really does hold that those views. And obviously the, those people are fucked up and suck. But like you're not like are, like go to the comment section, argue with that person, you're not getting anywhere and mm. they're not rational people. But then someone like that and that group of people, you're like, OK, if you get it, then why do you keep acting like that? Like, yes. That, then deeply, do you do feel that way and you just know it's not the right thing to say and it makes you look bad? But then, you know, it's like it's such a, a disconnect of character. And I feel like Again, like I said, like those are the people that I think are actually so much worse than the people that actually almost hold those views. Or maybe it's, you know, pick your poison in different ways. Yeah. And I never even had to think about that in real terms until this happened. And so, I mean, in a lot of ways, that reflects my privilege that like this is kind of the first intersection of marginalization that has affected my life in a really direct way. And that doesn't mean I don't care about other things. But of course, until something affects you personally, right. or someone you love, like you just experience it differently, you just do. Yeah. And this vote, this, this experience in the legislature this year, ruined a lot of relationships for me, irreparably, sure. with, with people I was friends with, who I respected, who I was proud to work with those relationships are ruined. I don't like those people and I don't think they're good people, but what's, what's weird and something that like you learn from experience. And a lot of people know this, of course, is that I work with all kinds of people who I knew always hated gay people who were always anti-trans from the minute I met them. And that was clear to me. And so in a way that was like, better because it's like I mean I know that you're not like bullshitting me like right. I know how you feel from the get-go so we're over that hump and we it's the enemy that things. you can see but, yeah it's it's my friends it's the people who I worked with who I traveled with them they babysat my kid I went to their house for dinner and then they turn around and vote for something like this that they know how when they know how that affects me it's like man yeah. I wish you just said out the get-go like you fucking hate trans people like that would be right. better than getting stuck in the yeah. back like this but again i i'm honestly a fool for i feel like a fool for ever did they try and be like oh like this isn't about you this is yep. did they yeah 
Yep. Well, I'm also yep. curious too, you know, like, or the thing I'm like, we don't mean you. And it's like, yeah, exactly. You know what? When you vote for a bill like this, there's no asterisk at the bottom of the law yeah. that says, but we don't mean you. Like it yeah. affects everybody. But then you're like, okay, then what am I supposed to do when this yeah. comes into effect? That's going to, that it is about me. And you say but, it yeah. doesn't mean me. I can't take that to the bank. So yeah, shut exactly. Up. There you go. But I'm also <laughs> so curious too, like back to kind of Sam's question, like maybe one or two ago, even the around just why Republican state legislatures are doing this. And I think there's a range of reasons. The bigotry is one. But I'm also been so curious, like if there's some just kind of some internally within the party that, you know, once one state does it, the other one, like it seems like now all these states are just following each other's lead with some of this legislation. And especially it's especially interesting to me because of the whole unicameral conversation, the nonpartisanship, like that is you know, supposed to be the norm in Nebraska. And we didn't touch on like electorally what happens financially with some of these races. Like I'm sure the parties are still pouring money into certain candidates and, you know, there's still that kind of underlying influence of money when it comes to partisanship that like ends up obviously influencing legislation. So with all that said, I'm just curious if you know, or if you've seen that, like, it is kind of this unity within the GOP across the country that's like, this is the stance we're taking. Everyone go and push this legislation out in your states. Like, is could that be part of it? Yeah, I think you said that exactly right. And that's a lot to do with it. And, you know, it's not interesting for listeners to just hear me talk about Nebraska, because this is obviously part of a trend that's happening around the entire country. And, What's depressing to me about how this is happening in Nebraska is I feel like we were kind of the last frontier for independent thought in legislatures, for this kind of libertarian principled pride that lawmakers had in the work that we did, that we weren't just taking the GOP playbook, that we weren't just copying what every other legislature, every other conservative legislature was doing. And, you know, it's the same kind of tired playbook that we've seen in every civil rights and human rights fight in the last hundred years. It's the same thing we saw happening to the gay community in the seventies and eighties, you know, people talking about grooming, people talking about the danger to kids, people talking about how it's a disease or a mental illness. And they're doing the same thing now to trans people and the same with reproductive justice and reproductive health care. the way people are targeting, you know, their, their pregnant neighbors who are going through difficult pregnancies and people are now being, you know, tried and prosecuted for the outcomes of their pregnancies that aren't even up to them. And, you know, all of these things are not linked to good governance. They aren't linked to any kind of conservative principle of government staying out of your business, of small government or, you know, fiscal responsibility or anything. It's all about control over people's bodies authoritarianism and who gets to have rights and who doesn't Mm. yeah that the neighbor thing you just said just totally sparked a memory that was happening in my group chat earlier today and we were talking about this woman that we went to school with back in the day and she just had a child and we were like oh like one of my friends was like so weird i didn't even know she was pregnant like i never saw any pictures and i was like yeah because no one wants to post online that like hey i'm pregnant like let me just have people follow my pregnancy because 
Who knows who else then is involved in your pregnancy? And if something happens, now you have all these eyes on you and what happens next? And it's like such a weird part of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like. Mm -hmm. I haven't talked. I haven't talked to anybody else about that. But I've noticed that too. Like. I have friends who literally turned up with a baby and it's like, what? I think a lot of women and a lot of people in the United States right now have that experience of like fear of surveillance. And I mean, that sounds so conspiracy minded to say, but you know, people deleting their period tracking apps and things like this. And in the trans community, community, we see people who are choosing to detransition to basically go back in the closet just to avoid persecution to avoid losing their home you know losing their job different benefits they have yeah and all of this is just because of societal rejection and legal persecution not because of anything inherently wrong with who they are a thousand percent and i think it's interesting what we've seen over the last few months albeit like a kind of depressing like what is that seesaw i was like what is that thing on a playground that goes back and forth where we have certain legislatures that are passing really harmful bills and then others like Minnesota that are like balls to the wall killing it, like passing all of these like protective measures and being proactive. And I'm like, OK, Minnesota, like what is happening Seriously. over here? Like so amazing. And we're seeing obviously people then essentially moving to these states, trying to leave the states that they're in and therefore leaving families and homes. And I know that this is something that you're also grappling with as well. And I'm curious what your journey in this whole scenario, you know, looks like going forward and, you know, sort of how you're feeling about it all. Seriously about Minnesota, like we're not supposed to have political heroes. I know that there's like no good politician or whatever, but okay, Tim Walls. Okay. Like I'm (laughs) a little bit obsessed with what you're doing over there. I love it. I saw him tweet today, something about like, in their schools, they're banning books. In our schools, we're banishing hunger and how they're getting rid of like student lunch debt and they're making sure the kids get the three meals a day. I'm just like, oh my Love God, that. how can any conservative, how can any Republican hear that and not be totally ashamed of their party? Like yeah. they're, ban- they're banning books, we're banishing hunger. Like, okay, amazing, you got me. But yeah, <laughs> this whole experience in Nebraska, you know, I'm a sixth generation Nebraskan. I'm I'm as Nebraska girl as you can get. I grew up in a small town in the middle of eastern Nebraska. And I have also had the opportunity and privilege to travel a lot in my life. I was in college. I did a lot of traveling. I studied German. And so I thought that my job was going to be teaching English in Germany. I've traveled a lot for work over the years. And it's really getting exposed to these different cultures and meeting different people that has caused my progressive evolution, I guess I would say. When I was in college, I was a pretty conservative gal. I was a lot like the people I grew up with. But, you know, growing up and having experiences, you learn that things aren't black and white, that Mm -hmm. one size doesn't fit all in life or in the law. And sometimes there's shades of gray around things. And, you know, I am a proud Nebraskan. I'm proud to be from here. But the world is bigger than Nebraska. And, you know, I, I have a trans son. I'm a mom of a, I'm a single parent to, to my son who's 13 and he's fabulous. And since he came out, he's been 
doing amazing in school. He's been doing all kinds of activities and sports and has a ton of friends. And, you know, when I came out as bi in like seventh or eighth grade, I was so bullied. I was, I, I had a horrible time in school. I felt like I had no friends. I struggled a lot with depression and I experienced a lot of bullying and I'm just so heartened that for my son, the experience is the complete opposite. Like he has tons of friends. He goes to, I mean, it's completely different from the upbringing, the experience I had in school growing up. But if we find that this isn't a safe place for him, you betcha I'll do anything to, to protect my kid. And while I have this platform in Nebraska, and while I have the stamina and the ability to do everything I can, I'm going to do everything I can to protect these kids in Nebraska who can't help where they were born. They can't help where they live. They can't choose to move somewhere safer. You know, if it comes to that, though, and we have to get some kids to safety, like we're seeing in Texas, like we're seeing in Florida, Missouri, Alabama, I will absolutely continue to be a part of those efforts, whatever that has to look like in the future. Yeah. And that's like, that's the progress it should look like, like you, you know, had your experience growing up and now seeing to this younger generation be more accepting, like that's what we need more of. And yet we see all of these, you know, very conservative legislators pushing back so hard on that and making it more difficult, which is really frustrating to see. But thank you for sharing. And thank you for an amazing interview. (laughs) I feel like this was incredible. We touched so many things like democratic reforms all the way down to, to the bands and, and, and the filibuster, the infamous filibuster. Well, I, I appreciate it. I would encourage everyone to follow me on everything. I'm Nebraska Megan on everything. If you just Google me, you'll find it. My pack is don't legislate hate. And if anybody has any questions or ideas or thoughts I am an open book and I'm really accessible in social media so I would just encourage people to reach out to me if they are wondering about you know Nebraska or you know I'm a registered independent and I've been able to be successful as an elected official you know not being part of a major party and Mm -hmm. I'm just very excited about the future of politics especially seeing this new generation coming up and how little tolerance they have for these questions of humanity and civil rights and equal justice. And I'm very, very hopeful for them coming up and a little bit obsessed with what I can do to help them. So (laughs) I'm sure. Sure. It's so fulfilling. Well, thank you so much for sharing the resources, for answering all of our questions. I know we asked you a ton, but just thank you so much. Thank you too. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.